When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're continuing on with our series of camp questions uh, today, positional reviews of the Ravens uh, one at a time. Today we're going to talk about the cornerbacks, obviously a very significant position, one I think of some limited depth for the Ravens, and here to talk about it is Jason Smith of Huddle It Up Films. Jason, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Good group to talk about. Uh, you know, depth definitely could be an issue, as it seems to always be, but there are some good options for the Ravens in there, too. 
He's at Huddle It Up Films on Twitter and on YouTube. I guess you find yourself by Huddle It Up Films as well. Looking. Yes, on well, both uh, Twitter and YouTube. And uh, new video up today. It was actually doing homework for the show. Kyle Fuller video is up on the channel. And um, starting this season, I'll, I'll have more cut-ups like that and be doing a uh, weekly show. So uh have a lot of things going on. Taking a nice little break here before we uh, get ready for the season. It's right upon us, Ken. It is. Camp uh, and the grind of that is coming up and, and then the uh, the preseason and you know, some of the beginning of the really heavy workload of analysis on a weekly basis and, and you know, film if, if, uh, uh, if that's what you do. And uh, it's just a, uh, we're, we're about to hit the, uh, hit the very heavy point in the season for us anyway, and it doesn't really let up until January and, and if we're lucky, February. For, and then the after the draft, you know, after the draft. So yeah. it's a never ending cycle. I love it. You know, I'm getting to the point where I'm bored, actually. Uh, I'm, I've, I've watched all the film that I really care to watch at this point. I'm, I'm just ready for a new season. Mm-hmm. At some point, you just you, you just got to want that kind of open your toys on Christmas, see what the new defense is going to look like and all that. So let's talk about the cornerbacks. Let's jump right in. And the Ravens, obviously, uh, lost some players last year at the cornerback position, finished uh, looking terrible in terms of pass defense, uh, last in the entire NFL. Uh, and, uh, you know, now uh, they come into a new season. They've addressed in some way the depth issues. They reta- retained a very expensive contract for Marcus Peters. Um, $10 million of cap savings was available to them had they cut him. They still could avail themselves of that, but it's a, uh, uh, you know, it's it's it'd be an extreme move if they did it. They'd have to be very confident in some of the other players they have. Uh, Humphrey will be back from an injury. Uh, you know, they've drafted Armour Davis and Peppy Williams and uh, you know, a couple of guys they hope to fill in. But we're going to go through all of these one at a time, talk about where they will start. And I'll tell you what, as a guest, why don't you pick the first guy we talk about? I think uh, Marlon Humphrey is a good place to start. I mean, he's the anchor. And, uh, you know, in our previous conversations, I think both of us agree that he's best on the boundary, outside the numbers, doing his thing, height, weight, speed, uh, never really has shown ball hawking skills. The interceptions that he does have seem to come to him. Made a nice play on Jamar Chase last year, by the way, at the end of that game. He had just, uh, you know, one of his roughest games. We came through with an interception in the end zone at the end. But uh, Marlon Humphrey, good tackler, as we know, physical player. Missed the end of last year with that torn pec, I believe it was. And, you know, in retrospect, now coming into 2022, Ken, I actually feel like that's a a positive for him. He got six games off his feet, off his knees, off his hamstrings, off of all that. And, I mean, the pec tear looked very painful. But as far as, you know, it was six games off for a player that's done a lot of heavy lifting for the Ravens. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not sure if I would take that trade. It'd be interesting to ask Marlon if that's something that he thinks he could benefit from in terms of uh, wear and tear on his on his legs career wise. I, I I wonder how he'd respond to that. That'd be that'd be just very interesting. I think we will see uh, Humphrey back on the outside this year. Uh, Ravens have a couple guys competing for slot time. Uh, you could say there's two. You could say there's three guys uh, who were really competing for their slot guy. If, if people believe Kyle Fuller might play on the inside, it could even be four. Uh, but, but Humphrey probably will be anchored at the right cornerback spot this year since Peters is really a left cornerback, and, and that seems to be his preferred side uh, uh, for, for a lot of reasons. But we've seen his big picks against Cincinnati and Seattle and whatnot have been uh, left cornerback uh, jobs. He hasn't moved around much. Uh, the only thing I could see Humphrey doing differently, and they've shown a, a, a mild willingness to do this, is chase uh, a, a 
single receiver that they want him covering. And that has to be, in my mind, a bigger receiver they're really trying to match up physically against. Well, I agree, Ken. You know, as much as everybody, I think, pretty much consensus, Marlon Humphrey, Humphrey is a prototypical outside corner. That's easy to say unless Jamar Chase is in the slot for the majority of the game. Then, you know, are you really going to put one of these young guys on, on Jamar Chase? Or, are you you know, you're going to rely on some of the guys we'll talk about later to take an outside corner spot and put your best guy on their best guy. I mean, if we, if we were playing the Rams who aren't on the schedule and Cooper Cup's out there, you know, maybe that's a time where you don't have as confident, as much confidence in these newer players, young rookies, uh, and Brandon Stevens, and maybe you move Marlon to face their best receiver. So I do expect Marlon to travel, but in a perfect world, Ken, I'd, I'd love to see him on the outside as much as possible. Yeah, I, on the outside, and and I, I really think if he if he's going to travel, it should be on a bigger receiver. It shouldn't be on a smaller guy. So if you wide receiver six feet and under. You know, kind of a normal wide receiver size, or even a little smallish, even at you know five eleven, certainly a smallish six six foot. You can argue whether that's big or small at wide receiver, but I think you got to think about really carefully about having Marlon uh, follow that guy. One of the things I expect the Ravens to do more this year than they have before is play probably a little more zone defense. Uh, they have just outstanding eyes on the football guys on the back end. They can take away some routes underneath with one of two free safeties being able to move up into the box. They can play packages where they have great underneath players. If they get Clark and Jefferson on the field, uh, you know, on, on passing downs, Clark may be on every down, but if, if Clark is in that dime role on other downs, I think it gives the Ravens a lot of opportunity to play really high-value zone defense um, and not rely on man schemes or off schemes where they, where they would um, uh, you know, be putting additional resources into blitzing or dropping linemen from the line of scrimmage who have certain things they can do for you, but you basically have to have man coverage in addition to, the, to that. Uh, to, to me, it's, a, it's just a great opportunity. Having big guys underneath, like a Hamilton underneath, having Urban at the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, having Calais Campbell, of course, at the line of scrimmage, I think gives you some great opportunity to get mitts in the air and create some great turnover opportunities if those players are looking at the football trying to read the quarterback, reading the throw. Um, one of the reasons Humphrey doesn't get as many interceptions as other cornerbacks is that he's often uh, put into man-press situations where he can't do the same things. He can't take the same gambles. That you're just he, He's not able to avail himself of those when he's in man coverage the way that, that Peters can. Exactly. He's, you know, basically has his back to the quarterback a lot of the times because he's being physical at the line of scrimmage and then gets turned into chase mode. Now, there are, you know, of course, some corners are better than others at that as far as just timing it up and being able to turn their head. Humphrey's been very effective timing the ball, hitting the receiver's hands, swatting it away. But I think that's a good point. We, you know, who knows what we're going to get out of Mike McDonald, but we knew what we were getting out of Wink. And, uh, you know, I think that if you look at just the IQ of the players across the board, especially in the safety room, and then, of course, you got Marcus Peters over there, zone defense would be uh, definitely, I, I think, a way to use your strength, you, use the, uh, your players to their strengths, because all of them really have good instinct if I'm looking at the entire DB room. Yeah, and, and that's where I would be looking too. And the the weakness, of course, of the Ravens zone schemes these past couple of years has been an inside backer, and they've really picked on that. Uh, in various ways. I mean, you know, screen passes and, you know, the inside linebacker not, you know, phasing in quickly enough, not diagnosing quickly enough on that, on that running back. Uh, Hopefully, 
more of the passing downs, more of the high leverage downs we played with better coverage players at those two inside backer spots. Uh, I, I even I love the fact that they're even talking about uh, Tony Jefferson the way they talked about Levine or the way the Pease talked about Levine. Now, we know Levine was really a safety, and he, he did all kinds of things for the Ravens. He played the back end. He actually played outside corner a few snaps. He certainly played plenty of slot as a big nickel uh, with the Ravens. Uh, but he also, when, when 2000, I think 16, maybe I was at camp, and I, you know, I commented that he was, he was with the linebackers, and Dean Pease says, yeah, he's a linebacker all the way. Uh, and that's basically what they're saying about Tony Jefferson this year. So that tells me he's replacing a Mike. He's replacing a Will as a sub-package linebacker. We won't see Tony Jefferson doing other things that, that uh, uh, you know, I, th- I think he can do Ravens a lot of value at those two spots. Let's just put it that way. Me too, and he doesn't have to. He has other players that, around him, good, great players, that can do those things and just allow Tony to be Tony. But, yes, uh, the Lamar Cramp game where Peters left and came back, Levine actually said so that's 2020 was actually lined up at cornerback when Peters had to take a few snaps off. Uh, off. So I, I, I caught that the other night. Like I said, I've been re watching the TV copies just out of boredom. So I picked that game and hadn't seen it in a while. Great game. But, but yes, you know, as it, as that affects the corners, you know, the better coverage on the inside will allow, I think the Ravens to match up. You mentioned big and small receivers. Um, you know, you have some smaller guys in there as well as the uh, traditional, you know, press man corners as uh, Humphrey Stevens, I would put in that category as well. And Armour Davis, really. Yeah, Armour Davis for, for sure and comes with that kind of a pedigree. Um, I'm I'm personally not terribly worried about the forced fumble total. I'd love if he'd get back to more of that. I'd love to see more uh, second man to the ball deals. But basically, I just want more total turnover contributions from Marlon. If that means he's tipping the ball up, great. If that means he's forcing fumbles, great. If that means he's recovering fumbles, that's fine too. And if it means he's the guy on the back end, you know, in a cover three situation where a ball gets tipped close to the line of scrimmage or just goes through the receiver's hands and he's got the good reaction skills to get to the ball, that's wonderful too. But a lot of ways he could contribute, and I I don't want to define it in any particular way because I think a lot of it will be schematic in terms of how they deploy Humphrey within their scheme. I think when you see Marlon having fun, being loud, being all over the field, I think that's when you know things are going well. And that's that's really what I want to see. A happy Marlon is a good Marlon. I didn't like the body language last year against the Bengals. Uh, just wasn't used to it. You know what I mean? I'm used to this very effective, very energetic player. So I, I, I just want that see that Marlon Humphrey on the field. And if he's on the field, our defense is uh, doing what they should be doing. Yeah, you know, it'll be a good year if the players are not emoting at each other. And they probably need to learn how to do that in a more discreet way, generally speaking. I know there's some great frustration with some of the coverage errors that have occurred the last few years. And yes, some of them are inside linebacker, but they're at other places too. And, you know, there have been plenty of, of other problems where, you know, players are basically emoting each other on field. I, I, I prefer not to see that. And some of the things that we've seen from the about the way, heard anyway, about the way that McDonald has been teaching the defense in terms of why are we doing this as a group, not just your responsibility, uh, seems to be a more valuable way to do that. And I, I don't doubt that the savvy veterans thought about the game that way in terms of what's everybody's responsibility within this. But I think that as you're bringing young players in the fold and what is probably going to be a fairly complex defense, uh, 
to, to understand the general principles and what the team's trying to do is great. It may even help them understand why they're being substituted out of a game or why they're going in and what advantage they give you give over the guy you're replacing. And that may give you help help in terms of what you need to do in, in any given play. Yes. It, it, you know, if your role is defined, you can embrace that role. Be like, look, I'm here. I'm here to tackle and, and do X and Y, you know what I mean? And, and just mm-hmm. know that that's your role and take that kind of thing personally instead of being spread out more. And let's face it, Ken, I mean, it's a brand new defense for everybody. I mean, I'm, there's going to be a lot of Ravens principles in there, of course, since McDonald was with the team. But just learning it all together one step by step, I, I think it's great, especially, you know, being the first year as a uh, defensive coordinator. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun to see exactly uh, how he differs uh, from Wink. We, it was very exciting to see the differences that Wink bought from Dean Pease. I mean, tremendously exciting what he did. He, 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 uh, and I'll just say this. I'm a tremendous Wink fan. I think that you know they, they allowed a really good guy to walk. Um, uh, here, I, I, I would have been fine if he'd have come back for another year. That said, I think, you know, McDonald is probably an excellent choice too. The Ravens don't make a lot of bad choices. They have good succession planning in-house and McDonald, although he spent the last year at Michigan was, was in-house prior to that. And certainly they know who he is. Uh, it's actually kind of a funny story, but when Wink got hired, I was actually upset with how quickly it happened. I thought that should be a decision at a higher level than just Harbaugh making the call. And I know Bishotti is one to delegate that hiring authority no matter what, but it, it should be almost an organizational call when you're, when you're bringing in a new offensive or defensive coordinator because those positions are so important. And the other thing I thought is that the Ravens defensive coordinator position is probably one of the most attractive positions in all of football. You have star talent, you have you know great history, great scheme, great understanding shown from the front office of what players can help you win by you know drafting talent on that side of the ball as needed, by bringing in guys that can really help you as, as platoon players. Um, and, and I thought that you know why would they give this to wink right away you know because he's on staff. Why, what, why is the fact that he's on staff make him the best candidate? And then they hired him, and he delivered on that instantaneous um, selection, I think. I don't think they would have done any better. In fact, I think the chances are likely they would have done worse um, by going out and get somebody outside the organization with a, with a really good pedigree. I'm thankful for the, the wink years. But, yes, this does seem more calculated. It's, you know, McDonald went, got his experience, went, uh, kept it in the family and then came right back. I think he was with the Ravens for about seven years before he went to Michigan. So this is pretty much his home. And and yes, I mean, what what better organization to want to coordinate than the uh, Ravens who spend the have spent the resources. Now, all of a sudden, we spend more cap as far as hard cap this year on offense than we have are on defense, but it's a, it's a committed team to its defense, even with Lamar as the quarterback, they don't, we don't mess around with stopping the run and we don't mess around uh, usually drafting at the safety position or paying a safety, whether it be Eric Weddle, it's a, it's a defensive culture. It definitely is. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Well, let's move on and talk about Marcus Peters a little bit. Why don't you start us off here in terms of, of maybe what you're hoping for from Marcus this year? I'm actually I'm actually optimistic. I've been feeling more optimistic for some reason. Of course, there's there's no way that we can know what what exactly is happening. Uh, you mentioned earlier that, of course, the Ravens could save uh, double digit 
I think 10 plus million if they cut him. And I was surprised, Ken, that a restructure hasn't happened yet. But I think maybe, you know, if I'm if I'm just trying to think it out, maybe they want to take a look at them in training camp before they know how, you know, see how the knee looks. Maybe they want their doctors to look at it to see what kind of money and how long they want to offer a, an extension to, uh, to to Marcus for. Um, but I think he's firmly in his plans or in their plans. Uh, I believe that he likes it here. Uh, and uh, go ahead, Ken. I just want to say that that I think you're right 100% for starters, that that they want to see whether he's uh, still able to play the position before they decide maybe even what kind of restructure they'd give him. And they may even decide it, well, he's going to be on the team this year and, and we need him there. If we can't tell that he's ready to go by week one, we'll give him a, you know, say, void years restructure. If if we can't, uh, if if we otherwise... Um, uh, think he's okay, then we could uh, actually extend him, you know, sign him for two more years. And I don't know what that might cost at this point, but, you know, maybe, maybe it's three for 45 at this point. Uh, if, if you're Marcus Peters, maybe it's less because, you know, the, the, the team is a little concerned about the, and, you know, coming off the injury, maybe in a different spot, but uh, maybe three for 40 is, is in the reasonable range. I, I, I'm never on sync with what current contracts are. I don't know about you, but it's, it's just very hard with the astronomical numbers we've seen thrown around for wide receivers. I'm not sure anymore at cornerback what's the appropriate number. It, it's hard to tell. It really is. And then it comes down ultimately to the player as well how patient they want to be. So, you know, you're talking, you're trying to read to, you know, the organization's mind and, and the player's mind. But yeah, so I was just saying it was his first injury that he's ever had. At least that's what he said came out of his mouth. Uh, so, you know, for Marcus or surgery, you know, serious injury, not saying he hasn't played hurt, of course, like every NFL player, but um, first surgery, major surgery. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's not young. He's what, right around 30 years old, I believe. And, um, you know, I, I, for some reason, Ken, I'm just feeling more and more confident. Like, and here's, here's the reason why I kept waiting for this restructure. And because the Ravens, you know, obviously needed the cap space to make mm-hmm. signings. Here we are as time of recording, we're right up against the cap. I don't think the Ravens want to go into this season with, without some spending room like they did last year. Remember Ken saying that they didn't even have 53, yep. uh, players active. I, I don't think they want to go into a season that short. So I think Marcus Peters is going to be, they're like saving that to be the in-season money. How much can we save on Marcus Peters? Okay. We can save 6 million off this cap hit this year. That's fine. That'll be our 6 million we're taking into the season or so be it. But maybe they just want to take a look at Marcus. I'm kind of confident that he's going to come back and play to the level that we're accustomed to fairly quickly. I, I don't know what it is. It's just a gut feel, Ken. All right. Well, I, I obviously I would love to to hear that. You know, on the offense, there's no doubt about it, and probably for the entire team, that Ronnie Stanley is the most pivotal player in terms of uh, variance in the season he can have. You, know, you can put Lamar's ahead of that because Lamar influences so much about the game and how the other ten players on offense have it. So let's take him out of the equation. But of the other players on the team, Ronnie Stanley clearly number one in terms of variance for me. And after that, on the defensive side, I'd probably say Peters is it. Uh, we just I, I don't think we really know. Uh, you know, if he can come back at a high level, all indications are very good from the Ravens' actions so far. But we haven't seen anything about Peters on the field that would tell us Peters is going to be Peters. 
it's the Ravens' actions. It's part of the reason I'm optimistic on Bowser as well. Uh, just the the way that they did not say attack it as aggressively. Signing a guy like Kyle Fuller to two point five million dollar contract, which basically means they could they could you know cut him if they wanted to. It wasn't like they signed a you know a top slot or outside corner and made a decision. Uh, to have that kind of, and then, and then the fact that uh, I want to give Marcus credit for being in the building last year and even somehow uh, talking his way on to get on the field. Uh, you know, you don't usually see that from injured injured players. So Marcus himself said he spent a lot of time with the Ravens, um, you know, rehabbing that thing. And uh, you know, like I said, it's actions and then just kind of a gut feel adding adding it all up. Uh, it would be really nice though. We need, like you said. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, obviously the most important. Uh, we need him 100% so our offense can function properly, period. But uh, we saw what it was like without that playmaking ability last year uh, that Marcus Marcus Peters brings. And I think he, in a way, is a is a leader on that team, lifts everybody up, uh, is willing to share information. And, and the guys look up to him. Uh, you know, I want to see a healthy Marcus Peters, maybe not week one, but, you know, by week four, week five, when it comes to October, I'm kind of hopeful that uh, we see the old Marcus Peters. Yeah, I, I'm. Well, I'm hopeful he can go week one, honestly. But uh, the team, they don't have a lot, you know, behind him. We're going to get to that in just a second. But uh, uh, yeah, if I love the set of eyes the Ravens have on the back end to have Peters, Williams, Hamilton, and Humphrey all looking at the quarterback, that is a formula to lean on teams when you have a lead. It is a t- formula to lean on teams. When they're trying to make progress at the end of the half, uh, you know, have, and have a clock consideration there as well, uh, it's a it's a formula to lean on teams on third and long. I think a lot of the onus on the Ravens' defense is going to be getting teams to third and long this year. Get you know third and long. You get an early down sack, great. That's the way to do it. Get the other teams to to draw penalty. That's a fantastic way to do it. You know, get a run stop and then an incompletion. That's a great way to do it. But whatever whatever the however they're going to do it. Getting to third and eight or more, getting to third and six or seven or more is going to be great for the Ravens playing uh, defense to defend the sticks. And that'll allow for a lot of zone opportunities that, that, that should have eyes on the football and high value opportunities to, to make plays. Definitely. Just a big fan of Marcus Peters' game. You know, I, I went and made a cut up of every interception he had. That was before last, before uh, 2020. And, you know, he had a lead leading uh amount of interceptions over that time. I think he's probably still number one since he was drafted, even though he missed a whole year. I mean, his lead was that, uh, was that significant. So it just would be a big boost to the team. And uh, like you said, it's really not much else analysis to be had. I think fans are know what to get with, uh, know what to expect with Marcus Peters, which is high plays, a gambler. And he's usually right. Yeah. uh, For those of you who may have heard me say this before, Peters is, was, uh, second behind Ed Reed uh, in interceptions adjusted to his era, normalized to his era uh, per 16 games. And uh, there, there are some younger guys that are threatening that. What I have to say about that is always there's more 400 hitters in April and May than there are at the end of the season. So, you know, if you're, if you have, you're off to a great start in your career, you will not be able to maintain it. And Peters is, you know, in that group, his, his interception rate after 30 is not going to be as good as it was you know, before 30, but, uh, but still, I, 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 uh, I hope the guy can be a Raven and you know what? I really hope he gets his wish and is able to finish his career as a Raven. I think that could only mean good things probably 
<laughs> if it involves an extension, it's, okay, more likely than not, it will mean good things. How about I? How about I leave it? I at mean, that? hey, it would be probably be another couple of years guaranteed. It's not like you're signing them for five, you know, five years, one hundred fifty million or anything. So yes, I, I think it's gonna. It has a good chance to end uh, well with Marcus Peters and the Ravens, both straight shooters. You know what I mean, Ken? Marcus Marcus doesn't mince his words. He doesn't just hand out compliments when he doesn't feel like it or when they're not warranted. Ravens are known for their brutally honest negotiating strategy. Hey, this is what we can give you. Go ahead and shop it somewhere else. So I don't know, kind of a personality match. It just feels like he should retire in Baltimore. Yeah. All right. Be happy with that. Let's move on. Uh, the Ravens acquired Kyle Fuller. It's actually, he's got a fully guaranteed deal. Uh, so I just looked it up on OTC as we're going here. So the, the Ravens can't save anything by cutting him. So he's going to be a Raven this year. Uh, he did not have a great or even good 2021 with Denver Broncos. Uh, Vic Fangio got him back. He'd had him in, in Chicago. Uh, he was happy to get him again. The language used by Fangio even after his good games is one that concerns me. Now, obviously, Fangio uh, benched him twice during the season. Uh, he had him in there at slot corner and I heard the kind of comments that I might hear about a young linebacker who never played the position before or, you know, a guy thrust into a position for the first time um, made about Fuller. Now, Fuller's, you know, a veteran player. He has played on the outside at corner his whole career. And he's thrust in. The, the, the Broncos needed him to play in the slot for about four games, five games the, in, in the last season. And, and he did so. He didn't really do all that well here, but he probably played a little bit better in the slot than he did on the outside where he was really bad. Uh, and, it, you know, it's the language that Fangio used was conciliatory in nature. It was backpedaling excuse language for a guy who uh, he wanted to say he played well, but he really hadn't played that well. So he said he played well for a guy. Now, you got to look at Kyle Fuller. He's never played a, a snap at slot corner in his life. And he moved in at slot corner and, and looked just OK kind of thing. <laughs> you know, the, the, I, I'm not. I'm paraphrasing the language there, or I'm, I'm de-coach speakifying it in my own mind, uh, but I don't think his, his comments could be taken as uniformly positive for Fuller's play there. Very fair. And, you know, I saw the same comments in articles written by the, you know, the beat writers and everything, and they tend to be positive. So the, the way it's framed to the outside is, man, this guy, you know, what a, what a, uh, you know, a trooper, man, you know, he got benched and, came back and humbled himself and played the slot and played better in the slot. And, you know, I mean, there's, I, you know, I'm guessing that that's true, but uh, you know, Ken, I haven't watched, I'm going to watch more and more of Kyle Fuller. I, you know, I, you know, I don't always trust every kind of grade. I kind of want to see for myself, Yeah. but just um, and one other thing I wanted to comment on, maybe you can respond to the 2.5 is, is guaranteed. Like you said, but then again, it's it's already sunken cost. So I don't see that. Like if Fuller shows up and by the luck of whatever you want to attribute to, whatever you pray to, everybody's healthy and Fuller just doesn't have it. You know, I don't think that it's, uh, you know, it's not like we gave him 10 million or something that we're really dependent on him. 2.5, I think, is, uh, you know, he could in a not perfect situation for him not be on the roster, but I think he's pretty much a lock. I agree. Okay. Well, there is a cap loss actually from cutting him. It's not just a neutral cap situation because you have to replace him with at least a minimum salary value salary guy. So it's really like you have to put up another, whatever it is, 750,000 or something right. to, to, to fill his spot. So 
if he shows up without legs, sure, you're better off cutting him. Uh, I mean, literally without legs. If they were both lost in an Can't. accident or something, Can't. we're not going to go there. It's too dark. It's too dark. But no, literally, if 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 he if he was unable to play football for whatever reason, yeah, you'd be better off cutting him. But uh, if if uh, if he can play football at all, if you have any confidence that he can be as good as the last guy on your roster, then you're better off keeping him. Uh, instead of say, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the guys who's on the who was slated for the practice squad this year. There you go. So, Ken, the, the first thing I wanted to mention that impressed me with the Broncos game that I just watched today was his aggressiveness in tackling. So, uh, it's you know, obviously that's not the primary job of cornerback, but, man, he got Lamar good a couple of times. And we're talking about Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, once by the sideline, once was very early in the game. It might have been the first play from scrimmage. Lamar kind of got twisted up a little bit. I don't know if you remember that play, Ken, but it was like a – uh, heart in your stomach kind of moment as a Ravens fan to see Lamar take a hit where he's just kind of twisted a little bit. And, um, but I was really impressed with Kyle Fuller's aggressiveness in tackling. And uh, that stood out to me for a veteran. He looked very interested and uh, made some plays over there on the strong side, a left cornerback. Can he played left cornerback the entire game? Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, different teams have different, philosophies about how they want their cornerbacks to get involved in run plays. But if he's in the slot, he's definitely going to want to be, a, he's, the Ravens are definitely going to want to be an aggressive tackler. If he's on the outside, uh, the Ravens have, have had mixed philosophies on that over the years. If you go back and watch the 2000 Ravens, uh, McAllister and Starks clearly have orders not to be involved in run tackles. Uh, and, and and you can tell they've got no interest. They appro- they'll approach the pile, but they don't want to come too close. The whole 11 bowling balls or 11 billiard balls thing, it was nine billiard balls. <laughs> that's what they're really talking about in terms of making tackles. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, that that's something, you know, I, I think Fuller, if they want to get the full value on him, they'll move him back to the outside. The Ravens are, are light on the outside in terms of depth. Anyway, you know, the next guy up is, is Armour Davis. And or maybe Stevens. Uh, so it's you, you really aren't talking about anybody who's got a clear inside track on that number three cornerback slot, as far as I'm concerned. If Fuller has anything left, if he can play intelligent football within zone schemes, if he can if he can be a a, a decent guy in man, I'm not expecting him to be great again ever. Uh, but if he can be a decent guy at all playing man, uh, you know that would really be something. That would be a big uh, win in terms of getting Kyle Fuller this year. And uh, honestly, the best possible reason is the two starters are both active for all 17 games, and he sees hardly any snaps at all. That's my ideal hope for Kyle Fuller this year. And I think his spot, his his main spot, is, is going to be on that left side, uh, you know, as Marcus Peters back up. I think that that's a really good spot for him. And when I look at the slot, I see guys like Stevens, who can be a big slot, uh, you know, if Marlon travels, he's another option for a big slot where you put a guy like Stevens or Armour Davis on the outside. And then you got some smaller guys like Pepe Williams or maybe our, our Darius Washington who can handle some smaller players on the slot. So if, you know, there's a lot of options there, Ken, like one of these guys is going to show up and, and, and be good at camp. You know, it's not, it's going to be more than just talk. One of these guys is going to play well. The odds are you have four guys there. Um, and in that scenario, I really like having the veteran Fuller to be there to maybe ease Marcus Peters in if he needs to, or maybe give him some snaps off, a series off here or there. Where you know, I mean, Fuller, you know, he's he's not, you know, obviously as an older player, he's not the athlete that he once was, but the IQ is there and the toughness is there from what I saw. 
Did he make a mistake? Were there some communication issues in Denver? Whose fault was it? How did the coach feel about it? Well, all that's over now. He's back home. And you can just hope that he can be a serviceable player, a veteran that's not a liability uh, when he's in there. And I think that that's completely possible. Like, I, you know, after watching that that Denver game, my, my opinion of him kind of, because uh, I saw the same grades as you can, my opinion mm-hmm. of him kind of smoothed out. Like, okay, you know, this this guy still knows what he's doing, Ken. He is a year older than Peters, so it's not there's it's not a, a youth infusion for sure. Uh, he's he's thirty as the season begins. Fuller won't turn thirty until January of next year. Uh, sorry, uh, Peters won't. Um, so F- Fuller is uh, you know a guy that there there is no the future is now. You know this is a this is a one year deal and probably this is his one year in Baltimore though I guess you could say he's a Baltimore guy it could be a, it could be a place he comes back if things go all right. What I just hope is that the Ravens know what they're doing with this move that they see something in Fuller that they think is untapped potential that was wasted last year maybe in Denver. Uh, you know an opportunity that that he would have been a a, a better player last year. Uh, under different circumstances, maybe having a better defense around him, maybe having better safeties around him, whatever that might be, um, and and that he can move back. Maybe maybe it's just they they still saw some good things on the outside, even though the graders didn't. But they saw some good things on the outside, and they think, hey, he's still got something there. Let's let's give this a try. Uh, certainly, still very aggressive at playing the football in the air. That that still is all there. Uh, I just, I, I, there are legitimate questions, I think, about whether or not he can stay with the receiver and man coverage at this point. Sure. There you go. So maybe they play a combination on that side, uh, zone on one side and let Marlon man up on the other side. You don't, you don't have to play all zone or all man. You can mix it up. Uh, mm-hmm. Fuller knows what he's doing. And, 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 you know, again, it'll come back to the defensive coordinator as well, being able to put him in positions to succeed because, uh, I, I think that Fuller still has something to give, whether his legs or whether he's physically able, like you're, you're, you're alluding to, to keep up in man coverage. Maybe that's not him anymore, but he does have some value as a ball hawk, tough tackler. And like you said, maybe we, McDonald can put him in some advantageous situations if we have to lean on him and, and play him. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about the Ravens' first uh Cornerback selected in the fourth round, number 119, Jalen Armour Davis. Uh, came out of Alabama, very limited amount of playing time there, uh, but did play 15 total games, couple in the previous two years, 11 as a uh, junior or senior. I've got to look it's at that junior, again yes. as a junior. So, uh, you know, at Alabama, that's often the case, is you have high-quality players uh, waiting in the wings to, to, to start, and they don't get their chance until their junior year, and then they're off to the NFL, kind of like, Going to Kentucky to play basketball, except it's 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 freshman year there. Right. <laughs> so, uh, a guy a lot of a lot of the physical traits um, uh, to play outside corner. I think that he's not a slot guy by size uh, and aircraft carrier build. Um, a lot of people think that he might be the in waiting to be the left cornerback if Peters were to leave after twenty twenty two. Okay, see, that's going to be a question for me, something I don't have a feel for if he is either, uh, you know, if he's comfortable on that side or if that's where he's going to be player, if he's best suited to play on Marlon's side. Um, But obviously Marlon's going to be here for a while, which is why you put it like that. But definitely an outside corner, Ken. I just wanted to say from both a positive standpoint and a possible 
what he's going to have to prove at the NFL level is positives. He's, you know, he's six, one runs a four, three, nine. And I joked with you on my show that when he gets beat, it looks like he runs a four, one, nine or uh, under four, you know, yeah, he just, the, the speed is there and the size is there. And then, you know, my main question coming out of college is, is his change of direction skills? I saw him get caught flat footed a little bit too much, uh, for a cornerback at his caliber. You're talking about, though, a uh, left cornerback, Ken. He did have three interceptions in 11 games. So mm-hmm. the production was there, you know, even though he only had 11 games played, uh, you know, as a starter, I'm guessing was his first year as a starter last year, three interceptions in 11 games. So prototypical outside corner. And uh, I actually had said to you before as well that I think Averett, Anthony Averett is a pretty good comparison. But uh, Jalen Armour Davis, I think, is a little taller, plays a little bit bigger than Anthony Averitt. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. And and your comments otherwise about the change of directions, I think I, I think are there probably is some slowness to his change of direction in total. But the big thing that he has is one thing that Averitt really had to figure out at the NFL level, and he did to a certain degree. And then we saw against the Colts, he kind of got exposed with wiggle at the top of the route. And, uh, you know, if, if Armour Davis is, is in off coverage, uh, is, is he going to be a guy that reacts properly to the receiver's moves at the top of the route? Can he read that receiver? Can he read his leverage? Can he figure out what's going on? Can he use the cues from the other receivers on the field on what routes they're running to try and eliminate possible routes and, and translate that to muscle activity uh you know very quickly so it's it's a big ask i know it's 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 kind of like uh you know being a hitter at the plate and having to react to the ball in 0.4 seconds uh this is this is that kind of responsibility at the top of the route and he's just got to be very quick at doing it some receivers they're too crafty have too many moves for you to do it consistently uh, but Armand Davis has good makeup speed uh it's one of the nice things about him in terms of deep routes so he's probably more forgiving on that you throw the ball up you're still taking a chance with him uh, in terms of, of how otherwise he might be beat to the inside and on a comeback route, maybe a little more vulnerable there. Yeah, I think this is a high upside pick for the first pick of the fourth round. I mean, if you if you just looked at him, watched him work out, and, and said, you know what, that guy looks like he fits with the Ravens. You know, he's 6'1", blazing speed. He's uh, no wallflower out there, a physical player. You know, he's got this production. He comes from Alabama. I mean, it just like I think that his his profile pedigree is more than just of a of a fourth round pick. I mean, if he if he had the uh, two year starter or a three year starter and didn't have those kind of questions, I think he would have went much earlier in the draft. I mean, there there are a lot of corners out there with limitations. I don't think Armour Davis has any from a physical standpoint. He can work right. on that change of direction. He can get his mind working faster, and he can get the experience to where he doesn't get caught flat-footed, which is basically, you know, the ne- only negative that I saw. I, I would agree. I mean, I think I think if you're looking for correctable flaws in a cornerback, he's got some of that, and he's got a lot of the physical tools in terms of the size and the length and the, and the uh, uh, speed, obviously. So... Uh, those are those are very good tools, a very good base to be starting, and hopefully he can he can learn the Ravens' way. The Ravens have, to my, my way of thinking, only one other guy who could possibly be on the outside at corner for them this year to any degree, and that's Brandon Stevens. Who, if you look at where he could play, it looks like the Ravens' safety room is largely full with five guys, big special teams contributors, but also guys who could make up an excellent five to make four safety group. 
and I really don't see any of them getting cut. Geno Stone is at the end of the roster right there, but or maybe Jefferson is. Um, I think Jefferson technically will be cut from the initial 53 because I think he'll be handshaked back. But uh, but I think that that the rest of the guys at safety are all fairly safe in terms of it being a five to make four unit on some plays. I really am hoping we see some four safety football. I agree. I think just heading into week one, let's forget about the final roster and predictions, but heading into week one, when everybody's back and we're loaded, we're going to have five safeties, which to me leaves, you know, Brandon Stevens as, as a cornerback. I actually, you know, for fun, just looked at the, uh, the Ravens roster, how they had them listed. They have DB, Brandon Stevens, DB and, uh, our Darius Washington, obviously, uh, uh, ironically was listed as a safety still, even though you and I kind of view him as a, as a slot corner. So Brandon Stevens, I, I think that, uh, you know, watching him closer to the line of scrimmage last year, I think he was better. I think versus tight ends, he had had his moments against tight ends when he was matched up one-on-one. He also had some was beat, you know, by some tight ends, uh, a learning year for him. I don't think he really looked comfortable the entire year, which is why I think Geno Stone, uh, his his safe his roster spot is is safe to me, or his place on the team is safe to me because it was just he brought a big calm to the back end, and I don't think that you just toss away a guy who's you have for cheap who can who can do that for the back end of your defense. But uh, in regards to Stevens, I, I I think that he is another guy. He has the height, weight, speed uh, like Armor Davis, and it'll be interesting to see who's uh, who's playing where. Yeah, one more comment on Stone, just because you brought him up there enormously significant in my mind that when Clark set a game, Stone got the green dot. So, uh, you know, that's obviously something that, uh, you know, they wouldn't say who was who it was going to be. And they, they have good reasons not to say in this case, because if the other team knows Patrick Queen's going to be on the field every play, they might try and take advantage of that or Josh Bynes. Or if you're even if you're going to give it to your free safety, they may they may try some things in terms of combinations of plays that might disadvantage your free safety from coming back, making a call, and then being tuckered out for a second nine route, say. Uh, so anyway, you have you have that uh, sort of gamesmanship that can occur. But I thought that was very significant that Stone was the guy to communicate that. So where do you think Stevens fits, Ken? You know, we talked about Armour Davis. Like he he's kind of a similar player. But um, Armour Davis seems like a more fluid, explosive athlete. Stevens does seem like a safety hybrid. Uh, you know, I almost wonder if he could play, like, be a specific, a tight end specific guy, like a second tight end, say, like you're you're blocking tight end. If Kelsey's out there and the Chiefs got their second tight end, like you're 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 in the box, you're guarding the guy who's probably not going to get the ball, and we're going to use your physicality uh, as a plus. So that, that's a that's a, a kind of a big nickel play. So the other team's in twelve, and and you put on three safeties and two corners. That that's a, something the Ravens have certainly played a lot of in the past. The problem for Stevens is that is that the, the Ravens' top three safeties are too damn good. That's true. I mean, he's he's just not going to get a chance on that. And there's there'd be all kinds of reasons to take Washington or Pepe Williams out of the game if the other team's going twelve and 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 play three big safeties. But sadly, it's it's not going to be Stevens. I, at least not unless somebody gets hurt. And I, the other thing I would just say about repositioning and all the versatility Stevens can bring the team, okay, maybe that's great. Maybe you stick it in your hip pocket. But Stevens is entering his second year, and the clock is ticking, folks. We, the Ravens really need to find out what he can do well, and they'd be well served to find him a position this year, a la not 
uh, Tyree Phillips, you yes. know, to, to find him a position this year that he can succeed at and, uh, and not screw around, try to make him a more versatile player than he maybe really is, or, or even to just putter around with him like an alchemist, you know, experimenting, uh, you know, to, to, to see what he might be. But I think he, he goes, he goes to the outside if in my world, um, you know, I want him as a, as a good press alternative, or at least I think he brings that. I think what you have in terms of safeties can provide him the help he needs over the top. Uh, but I think he can be a good guy to, to jam a receiver to the boundary, to, to give guys trouble releasing off the line of scrimmage. And, and also, he, he has good speed. Uh, he'd still be probably one of the Ravens' fastest cornerbacks, even where he is. I, just, I, I don't entirely trust what he brings to the game at the top of the route. So th- that's the conundrum, though, Ken. Um, not the top of the route part, but just, okay, well, you need to see, you want to see what you have with Brandon Stevens here. The clock mm-hmm. is ticking. The other conundrum is, well, he plays outside corner, and if things go well, we have Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters there. So it's like, well, which one is it? You know, what's good for Stevens? What's good for the team? How is this all going to work? I, You know, I mentioned, I think, earlier in the show that Stevens would be a guy that I would try in Marlon's spot if Marlon has to travel with, uh, you know, a slot receiver who's the main threat this week. Maybe Amari Cooper's playing a ton in the slot, and they want Marlon on him or something like that. Maybe that's a game that Stevens plays a lot. But, but yes, with the safeties that we have, you know, that's why I was saying a blocking a blocking tight end. Maybe that's a snap that Hamilton's not on the field. You get Stevens on the field for a third and one with a fullback and a two tight. I, you know, I don't know, Ken. I, I don't think that there's any good answer, but I do think that his best spot is out there um, somewhere on the boundary. I, I, I mean, I agree, first of all, about the boundary, but let's just brass tacks here. If he's the eighth or ninth best defensive back on this team, and that's very possible, okay, that, that you know the five safeties, at least positionally, where they might compete with him for snaps, are all better at those positions. You don't want Stevens on the back end basically over any safety the Ravens could put out there, except maybe Jefferson, and Jefferson doesn't really, he's not going to be playing those those spots. I I, I want, uh, you know, in terms of a dime role, uh, could Stevens be good at it? Maybe, but they've got Chuck Clark, and he already had the best dime year in team history, you know, three years ago, and, and I, I wouldn't wouldn't take him off the field for that. And if, if he was hurt, you know, then, or, or, if he, or if they're playing him on the back end, they decide that's the right place for him, then, you know, maybe moving Hamilton around to play dime or, you know, a big matchup guy against tight ends is really the correct place. I just don't see him winning that role. So first of all, I think Steven's opportunity has to come where a lot of opportunities come from injury. And it may, he may not, you know, and the Ravens may not be able to be, be selective about where they put him in as much as I think outside corner on this team on paper looks like the chance for him to play first and play best. Yes, I'd have to agree with it. I mean, there's really nothing else to add. I mean, you know, I think the Ravens made it clear when they signed Marcus Williams that they did not see Stevens being able to take such a big jump so early. And hey, let's 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 put him where he was most effective. He's got the body for it. He's got the speed for it. Let's let him be a boundary corner. And then in the draft, we went drafted another one. Of course, you know we have questions with uh, you know Marcus Peters' health, so it was a good move. But uh, it just puts more pressure on Brandon Stevens. All right. How about we move over to slot with a couple guys, I think, competing for the job there. 
Uh, first of all, these guys are competing with the third safety for snaps right away because I think if the Ravens go into the season with Clark, and that's still not a 100% chance, but if they do, they're going to be looking for every opportunity possible to put three safeties on the field. And the easiest opportunities are when the other team goes to 12 that you, you put a third safety on in big nickel. And then you have others where you're taking a linebacker off the field to, to get one on. They'll have a dime opportunities there as well. But uh, Pepe Williams and Washington would be more of the standard 11 personnel uh, third cornerbacks that would play slot. Uh, who would you like to talk about first? I want to talk about Demarion Pepe Williams. I You know, I, I was look, he's another guy I went back on for the show and was watching some Houston games. And, you know, I remember the last time I talked to you, I said, I'm mad at myself because this guy didn't come across my radar. And I was watching Marcus Jones and why wasn't I seeing Demarion Williams? Well, I mean, he's, you know, what, 5'10", uh, 5'10", 182. You know, he's playing the outside there at Houston, Ken. So often over, you know, uh, undersized versus the receiver. And, um, you know, you can see it in his production with the nine pass breakups. They weren't afraid to challenge him. And, man, what a tenacious player going up there and breaking up passes against much taller receivers. I mean, forget about the quality of the receiver for a second. He is timing the ball as well as you can possibly time it while he's running full speed, turning around. And then, uh, Ken, I don't know if you want to comment on that, but just a bulldog mentality. I mean, they, they, Tavon, you just call him the pit bull. This guy is the same way. Uh, when he tackles, he's not taking any prisoners. Very physical player at 5'10", 182. Yeah, knows for the football. Does a lot of things well on a football field that, that you really got to love. Uh, and I, I think Ravens and the Ravens fans in particular are really going to love the style he brings. The comp to Tavon Young is a very good one in terms of him being a, uh, a, a good downhill player. Uh, which is surprising a lot of times for a player his size. But, you know, the Ravens have had a number of nickels over the years, a little bit undersized, and Lardarius Webb and um, let me come up with another one. Corey Ivey would be a good comparison, a really small uh, but tenacious uh, nickel who was very effective with the Ravens' 2006 defense in particular. Um, they've, they've had these guys before, Tavon, of course, uh, when, he, when he's been healthy. Uh, Pepe is a guy I think I think fans are going to really love. I expect him to have a big preseason because a lot of quarter quarterback play in the second half is highly mistake prone at all positions. But but cornerback uh, quarterback uh, play the the receivers in the second half make a lot of mistakes and he should have a lot of fun with that in this, uh, in this preseason. And if we're looking for reasons why the Ravens might extend their win streak. Uh, uh, in the preseason that Pepe Williams is a good one. By the way, next time you ever see anybody who takes the the uh, other team against the Ravens in a preseason game, ask them what their methodology was. And, and I guarantee you, you'll be at least amused. Okay, I see you're taking Chicago against the Ravens this game. Why are you doing it? You know, what's what, what personnel matchup do you think works out for them? And, and they won't have anything to say. <laughs> Maybe they just think we're due to lose one, Ken. You know, maybe it's like, look, you guys won 153 in a row. I mean, I'm I'm guessing 154 is not going to go your way. So yeah, maybe that's, that's interesting. Uh, I, I call that the uh, the roulette strategy. And uh, it's it's named after Marty, which can be a guy from work or the Martingale system where you double your bet every time to try and win one unit in the end. A lot of people have gone broke doing that. And any kind of computer simulation would tell you so. So Double or uh, nothing, huh? Let's go double yeah. or nothing. Double or not to keep losing. <laughs> yeah, but I, I agree with you, Ken. Pepe Williams is going to be a fan favorite. If he's on that field, he likes to talk. 
He likes to be involved with the game. He just exudes for anybody that hasn't seen him play. He exudes like this love for the game. So as far as a fan favorite, and I mean, like I said, there's physical tacklers, but he enjoys it. Like he enjoys standing up a bigger player and telling him about it on his way up. I think he's got to be careful with that, by the way, Ken, because mm-hmm. he, you know, he makes me nervous when I was watching some of the games. I'm like, man, the NFL, they'll, you know, they're quick to, you know, throw a 15 yard, but he's that kind of player uh, from an aggressive downhill tackling standpoint. And um, the, what I wanted to throw to you on Ken is unlike what we were talking about with Brandon Stevens and how, how is Jalen Armour Davis going to fit? There's a pathway for Pepe Williams. I think you kind of mentioned it. These smaller receiver, quicker receivers in the slot. I mean, we're, you know, either him or our Darius Washington on paper. And uh, also wanted to say like, when you look at Demarion Williams compared to Tavon, to me, anyway, I don't know height and weight and all that other stuff, what's accurate, what's not. But Demarion Pepe looks like bigger, thicker than Tavon, who was just like punching above his weight. Like Demarion looks very sturdy as a player. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Tyron Matthew, you know, the way where he's kind of not not the biggest guy, kind of undersized. But when he hits you, it's like he's a bigger man. Like I, I think that has to do with like he's a good striker is how I would put it, Ken. Like there's some big muscular guys that really don't time their punches. And then there's these skinny guys with long arms who time their punch. Like he really strikes through the target. He wants to do it. The the will is there. Um, I want to see him succeed again. Like out of, out of all the guys we're talking tonight, uh, you know, as far as the, uh, not obviously Mar- Marlon and, and Marcus, but you know, if you could say pick one guy that shows that he's NFL ready, it'd be Pepe Williams for me, because I think that that's a role that, the Ravens need a smaller slot corner. Yes, I, I agree. I, I don't think it'll work to have big guys there. You're talking Cole Beasley or you know Wes Welker types or Julian Edelman. Those kind of those kind of guys who are around the league. Uh, you do want somebody who can read leverage better. Uh, you know, probably play above their speed. And I think both these guys. That's what I'm 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 seeing from college tape. Not enough because the jukes will be better. Leverage will be harder to read at the NFL level. Um, but but anyway, uh, hopefully we'll see in camp uh, one or both of those guys really show elite reaction time at the line of scrimmage, those whip routes and those uh, really fast developing routes where they have to read it right off the line of scrimmage and they have to they have to figure out what's going on to have any chance to make a play on the football. So there you go, Ken. So, you know, the Ravens lost Tavon, lost Averett. Drafted kind of a Tavon and drafted kind of a Averitt as far as just, you know, if you want to look at skill set, uh, it should be very, you know, it's it's like a, it's similar enough for me to be able to say that and not feel, you know, to the to the viewer, or a casual fan. That's a perfect way to put it. That's what we got. We got ourselves a new Tavon and a new Averitt. Now, the, the Ravens have five other guys who are on the roster currently. I don't think any of them is a good chance to make the roster, but I want to come back to that in a second. The other guys are Robert Jackson, who got some playtime last year, did not look good uh, at the end of the season, obviously. He'd be a candidate for the practice squad, not a candidate for the roster, unless there's some major breakdown to the depth chart during camp that would be very, very bad to see again. Uh, uh, Kayvon Seymour uh, is still around this league, and the, the Ravens actually went out to re-sign him. He's a veteran player. He's probably, I, th- I believe, well, let me just check what year he is. I believe he went to year five or six. 2016 sixth-round pick. I think he played for USC, by the way. I didn't write that down, but he, he did. He signed in January, 
no guarantees. He's the Ravens are his fourth team since 2016. So about Ronnie Stanley's age, give or take a year. Okay, important here. He's in his fifth season, so he could be, and, he, and he's making the vet minimum. So he's a handshake to make a handshake guy. He a hundred percent chance he's cut from the starting 53 because he'd be the first guy you'd you'd go to. And you try and say, hey, Kayvon, we, we want you back. We want you for the practice squad, maybe. We want you for the team, maybe. But uh, but we're cutting you right now to make room for this other player who's going to IR tomorrow. And, you know, the Ravens will, will do that to get 56 or 57 guys on their roster as opposed to just 53, I, I'd be pretty sure. If you look down the Ravens roster, it's pretty clear who they're going to do with it. Brent, Brent Urban, Tony Jefferson. I mean, there's just a, there's a set of players who it makes complete sense to be cut and re-signed uh, because of their veteran status and the amount of money they're making. But he's he's he'd be certainly one of them if he's if he has a chance to make the team at all. But uh, just going to the other guys, Vereen, um, Amon Marshall is a sad but interesting story in his fourth year now with the Ravens, and he's lost three years to injury. Uh, it's just. We will never know what he might have been, I think. But I think the best that we would see there is that he is a practice squad guy who might get a call up or two during the year uh, if they really needed him. Uh, we'll see. Maybe he gets a chance to continue his NFL career. Uh, that's kind of being on the hopeful side, I think, for that. Uh, there's a good chance, you know, he's, he's he, he might be at the end of the line here. And, and uh, you know, we'll just have to see how that goes. And then Denzel Williams also on the roster. That's another problem with having two D.E. Williamses on the. Yes, <laughs> two he's D. A, Williams. Sorry. He's a Dens over here. He's a Dens Williams over here. So we, you know, hopefully we'll just call Pepe, Pepe uh, after a while. So he'll make a name for himself. But the the one guy, yes, I agree with Seymour um, being a guy who's most likely, if we get through camp uh, like we hopefully should that he won't be on that 53. He won't be on that 53 week one, you know, either way. Uh, And I think uh, another contributing factor to that, Ken, is our Darius Washington, who we kind of glossed over a little bit, but five safeties, okay? And then if if you count Fuller among the cornerbacks who are guaranteed to make it, that's six cornerbacks that are guaranteed to make it. That's already 11 guys. And if you want to try to sneak a 12th guy on there, I'm not sure how they can, but – I would think that they would choose Ardarius Washington over Seymour if their play is the same because Ardarius would be another guy who would compete with Pepe Williams for that smaller slot role, I believe. This is where the 56 of the 57 becomes the meaningful number and not the 53, is that they can get the 11th defensive back. I think I think it is actually if if the depth holds up and it's a, it's a big ask to get through camp with 12 out of 12 guys staying healthy. Yes. Okay, but but it, but they have five safeties they want to keep. They have seven cornerbacks they might want to keep in an ideal world. Um, it's a big ask to go twelve for twelve on that. Uh, it, it probably will not occur. But if it if if they have two guys they need to move to the roster, they could probably even do that and have a cornerback and a safety who are both sitting on IR to start the year. I hate to think that might be Peters is one of them, but but you know a, a, a two guys sitting on there, you can bring eight guys back this year off of uh, an IR status. And it's actually kind of difficult to find guys who you want to you know, temporarily uh, put on the shelf because you have to put them on for four weeks now uh, to come back. And it used to be, what, eight weeks, 12 weeks when it happened to Ray. And he could really only come back to, to, to get into the postseason. And you only had one player, but there's hardly ever a player who would exactly fit those conditions that you really want to sit down for a long period of time. Well, now it, rules are a lot more lax 
It's actually a very significant part of your roster building process is to is to decide who you want to stash on IR uh, for a limited period. And, and eight returns is a big restriction from the last couple of years where the COVID rules had unlimited uh, returns from IR and after three weeks. But uh, I think this rule was actually probably targeting some teams that were like the Ravens in terms of being very uh, good and crafty roster builders. Yes, it's tough. You know, you look at it this time of year and you you think, how can we get all these guys uh, on the field? But, I mean, we, we were kind of in that same position last year with uh, trading. Excuse me, what, what's his name, Ken? Who did we trade that we drafted? Sean Wade. Yeah. Uh, and Nigel Warrior, too. And Nigel he, Warrior, you yeah. know, and then and ended up, uh, you know, playing guys down the stretch that we couldn't. So, man, how many of these guys can we keep? You know, it looks great right now. But, you know, Ardarius is the one guy that, you know, whenever I've seen him play, I, I see a, a really heady football player that looks like he belongs. So I, I would just – I hope the Ravens find a way to keep him, uh, even though they already have, you know, theoretically uh, 11 DBs ahead of him. Yeah, I, I, I basically would agree with that, and I think they will find a way because I don't see them as having a really good backup slot corner otherwise. They could they could get by with a, a playing a safety there. Uh, you know, if you want to if you want to make – uh, if you even want to, you know, rotate Clark and uh, and um, Hamilton uh, in that spot, I think that would be okay. But it's uh, uh, they probably would rather have a a guy who can cover the whip route as a backup on the roster. And you know, ideally, they'd have a guy who could play inside or outside. I don't think Fuller is that guy, even though he's obviously tried that way at Denver. And I don't really think anybody else among the Ravens' outside corners really makes sense unless it's Brandon Stevens. And Brandon Stevens still would be a big physical slot corner, not a quick twitch slot corner who's going to play faster, um, you know, off the line of scrimmage or play as fast off the line of scrimmage as he needs to against some of these smaller, quicker uh, change of direction guys. There you go. We, we said it before, but yes, the Marion Williams, Pepe and, uh, and um, you know, Ardarius are the two guys that fit that mold is at least physically quicker than fast guys, a little bit undersized playmakers, reading leverage of the receiver, all, all those things that the, the Ravens look for in a smaller slot corner. Those are the two guys that profile. Everybody else is kind of like a, unless you want to try Fuller in there, you know, it seems like strictly outside corners or, you know, and you don't want to move Marlon. You know, you want to mm-hmm. let Marlon be Marlon. And the reason we started with him in the show is because it kind of works around Marlon. That's our guy. That is, and you know what? Anybody else doing this is going to say, well, Marlon Humphrey's a pretty good slot corner too. And the fact that he can play there uh, really gives you versatility you need. And if it, if it was the emergency uh, move, if it's the, certainly if it's to get you through a game move, well, no problem. You got to do it. If it's, if, if you, if, if one of Washington or uh, uh, Pepe was on the uh, inactive list that week, which is probably a pretty good chance that that'll happen week over week. Um, that, that you know, moving Humphrey there to the end of the game. Okay, that's fine. He's that's him providing value. I just don't want him out there starting games. You know, being the guy that they have to put in that position. And, and you know, who also helped with that, Marcus Peters, because if uh, you know a number one receiver is on Peters' side, that's fine. Then you have Marlin over there, and if his guy goes inside, he follows the good guy inside, and if he stays outside, he follow, he stays outside with the good guy of the other team, and. He can work in combo with another corner, be it a smaller guy or a bigger guy. Um, and, and you're going to be fine on that side. Well, you know, if yeah. the other guy's playing well. And and the safeties too. So they have yes. some, hopefully have some, you know, some 
good answers on the back end this year in terms of of guys who will bracket routes effectively, who will who will you know Hamilton back there should really strike fear into opponents. But then so should Marcus Williams. That's that's his game is to is to get to the right spot. So I just I'm loving the prospect of having two true free safeties on this team. Ken, you know I've I've been trying this whole show not to keep going back to the safeties because I'm just so excited. I mean, you can, the people out there can probably hear the smile on my face, but you know, I've been rewatching these games and I'm just like, you know, you know, Elliot was fine. You know what I mean? He, he was okay. Mm-hmm. And then we saw Stevens back there and there was some miscommunication. There's just nothing like a playmaking safety. Now we have two of them to go with the rock of the group and Chuck Clark. It just makes such a difference. Like, you know, I, you know, positional value was a discussion I got into today. And, you know, obviously, you know, you have your, your highly weighted positions and tackle and wide receiver and edge rusher and all that, but a playmaking safety, if you get that true guy, I mean, he can affect the game. Like, you know, I think it's possible that say an Adafio way and a Kyle Hamilton can both live up to close to their potential. But I think that, uh, you know, a way has a higher ceiling, maybe, but a lower floor, you can see Kyle Hamilton affecting games, more games more often than away. Say like Kyle Hamilton is that good of a safety that he could, you know, be as important to a team as a top edge rusher is what I was trying to get to. Yeah. I mean, he may in fact even have some good edge rushing opportunities with this team. If he, if he's used in kind of that Derwin James rotating role, I mean, we're, we're salivating a little bit off over what he can bring from the back end, because I think there's a lot of route takeaway that will solve a lot of what was wrong in inside linebacker in terms of coverage is, is if, if you send a safety down into the box to take away certain routes and, and you read it off the line of scrimmage the way you want to have him play robber, um, you, you can really cover for some inside linebacker weakness in terms of, of, uh, of where you are. I mean, I expect it to show up big time, Ken. I, I you know, it just because you, you, like I said, you have two, actually three really heady safeties two are extremely rangy in Hamilton and, and Marcus Williams and Chuck Clark, of course, just fits in like a glove with those guys. It's like the playmaking. I expect the turnovers to go way up this year. I really do. When you, you were talking earlier, some about something I thought about is Hamilton on level two, instead of a, instead of a weak side linebacker um, taking mm-hmm. some of, you know, if you want to play four across and two in the back, I mean, having Hamilton, somewhere in that middle of the defense being six, four and so long, uh, like you said, he'll probably have the opportunity to line up against some bigger slots, or maybe he's the guy that matches up against the number one tight end. He's got that kind of ability. So very exciting group. Um, you know, I tried to stay away from the safeties, but I, I think that that's going to make a big difference on the defense this year. Ken, you know, it's just the improved play from going from what we had last year and the last couple of years to these guys. Stick with a stream of consciousness always is the rule, basic rule on this show. We want to hear what you have to say, even if you end up talking about running backs on the on the cornerback show. That's fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I completely agree in terms of the of of the Ravens having size underneath and instincts underneath. Chuck Clark, by the way, he is has an opportunity to play this year. First of all, he, he may have the green dot. He may be playing every play. But even if he's not, even if he's playing dime back and the Ravens are at 40, 42% dime, let's say again, plus they play big nickel and he's on the field for, ends up being close to 60% of snaps. And I think somehow he and Hamilton 
will share about 1.6 snaps per play, if that makes sense to people. Okay, so one of them will play about 60% of the time, one of them will play about 100% of the time, or they may each play 80% of the time. But anyway, they're sharing uh, that sort of time. Uh, if, uh, if he plays underneath and is back in that dime roll, Clark really had a lot of understanding of where to be. And it, the more that that can be translated into not overall defensive cat herding, not overall defensive hole filling from the back end, as I think he was forced into some this last year, the more effective he can be. I mean, I look at back at some of the interceptions he's had, and he's he's a, a sorcerer in terms of knowing where to go on the field to take away a route from a quarterback. And I, I just, you know, total different dimension to that weak side linebacker spot if Clark is playing it in terms of coverage ability. And we, we saw it, Ken, and I believe in, in Clark's ability on the back end too as far as if you want to play a traditional cover too. I mean, Chuck's got instincts for mm-hmm. days. I mean, so you could use Hamilton's length, you know, if you, if it's a third and long and you're, you're pretty confident they're not running, you don't need Chuck in the box. You can make them throw over top of Hamilton. Chuck's going to see that. I mean, he you know, think about how hard Wink made it on the safeties in this system to be screaming back to the back end, you know, as the ball's being snapped and all the games that he was playing. Chuck was asked to cover a lot of ground, and we saw him do that, make a fantastic interception uh, on a deep ball, and then, of course, had to pick six in the Rams game. Like, okay, Chuck was doing that kind of stuff while he was the single safety. If he's got Marcus Williams next to him, he can play on the back end and be a playmaker himself. So just a lot of – I mean, that's what makes it – that's what makes it exciting. Like the safety group is so strong that I feel like, you know, the big ifs are, you know, you have Marcus and Marlon in their spot. And we're looking at four guys, Ken. You, you really only need one or two to emerge and you'll have, you'll have a strong DB group before the injuries hit. Mm-hmm. Very excited about it. And certainly expecting a lot more turnovers this year. Uh, very excited about what the offense can do in order to set up this defense for a lot of big turnover opportunities. And, and no matter what people will tell you, no matter what they'll say, I mean, your, your defense does not play on an island. They, they play very much in concert with the offense in terms of the, the flow of the game, in terms of, of where the lead is. And when the other team has to pass to catch up, the Ravens have their opponent where they want them, uh, particularly with how they're built defensively. They, will, uh, they should really shine in those moments. That's right. And, you know, it helps your pass rushers. They know what's coming and mm-hmm. it gives them extra time, some more deep developing plays and things happen. You know, you could always count on Ed Reed. To, you could smell the blood in the water. It's like, OK, yeah. the other team's getting a little desperate. They're going to have to start pushing the ball downfield. And that's when Ed took over, man. Yeah. All right. Just a pleasure, as always, talking football with you, Jason. I love having you on and, and look where the time goes. Uh we mentioned your your uh, your your show up front, so you can tell people about it again. And you're at Huddle It Up Films. At Huddle It Up Films, and yes, yeah, so, you know, a little long on the show, but Ken, we had 11, 12 guys talking about and then how they're working in say, uh, tandem with the safety. So I think we did pretty well. But yeah, I, I would like to welcome anybody who's listening to join the family. I guarantee you, there's going to be a video, uh, some kind of clip, cut up a highlight, a show. Ken will be on the show. I have great guests like Ken. Ken does during the off season, during the downtime uh, draft stuff. So there's plenty of stuff for you to do your homework and to kill time when we're waiting here for the season and to keep up with the cutups during the season. And I uh, mentioned earlier, still in the works. I haven't announced anything official, Ken, but once a week uh, you're going to be able to, at least you're going to be hearing from me and some good people 
uh, on the channel, a weekly show, kind of like a look back at the the last game and a look forward to the next game type of uh, type of program. All right. Sounds good, Jason. We'll have you on, no doubt about it, during the year. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short and you have an idea, any kind of topic you're passionate about, particularly if it's a nice narrow topic we can cover in 25, 30 minutes, give me a hit with a DM on Twitter. I'll get back to you right away and uh, we'll get you on fairly quickly. Uh, Jason, thanks again for coming on. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.